Hey gang, Tom DJ here. Before we unleash the fun here at Better in the Dark, I just wanted to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book, just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include The Big Short by Michael Lewis, The Help by Catherine Stockett, and Bite Me by Christopher Moore. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark and get your free audio book today. Well, I better start playing the theme song, don't you think? Now you're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my life. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. Oh, Are you taking the piss? Yeah, I'm fuck you up. Oh man, I'm gonna fucking kill you. He's a funny guy. Sorry. He's a funny guy, but he's great. You know, he looks like a guy who wakes up in the morning. He reaches down. There's a bucket full of toys and cars. Right. He pops right <laughs> and he's chewing it while he's walking to the bathroom. Bringing the noise since 07. Yeah. The BK wait all day with these two DJ and Ferguson here to teach you That trap's on a sure way to kill And even ain't Raquel, not now, never will The boys don't play, bring on all flicks If you ain't coming with it, they will say that it's ish Great, great man, you will get applause And when we say Christabel, everybody please pause Clyde Barker, the musicals The man with the S to the Disney unusual Duck and cover when Tom's on the rant Or please sing along cause you know that they can't <laughs> So this one goes out to you and yours And all the great members of the message boards They call me B-hyphen and it's time to start Cause we all feel better, better in the dark Yeah, yeah Who are you then? The flying in the ointment, huh? The monkey in the wrench The pain in the ass You have me at a loss You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture. This is John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie. Right, Davin? It's May now, isn't it, Derek? Yep, as a matter of fact, it is, what, May 7th, I May 7th. It is Iron Man 2 Day. The official beginning of the summer of 2010. Mm -hmm. Or as we like to call it here at Better in the Dark Labs, the the summer summer of fun! That's right, after all the negativity we've had in recent episodes. Thomas and I just made a conscious decision. We were going to have fun this summer. And we were going to do peppy, cheery, upbeat shows. Unless, of course, somebody pisses us off. And then we revert revert back to whatever our usual curmudgeonly state of being. In which case, there, there will probably be blood. But, for right now, we're in a good mood. Our executive... Guest host today. He's Woo-hoo! not just a guest host. He's an executive guest host today. Woohoo! Because of course he was the gentleman who suggested this episode that we're doing to usher in the summer of fun. The one, the only. You've heard him on the Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast. See, Mister Donovan Morgan Grant. <laughs> the 
men cheer, the women swoon, and the little children wave multicolored flags. (laughs) 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 And what is this about? Well, we're going to have some listener mail. We've got a big announcement, but what is this episode primarily about? One, John McClane. That's right. (laughs) Donovan has been bugging us for a while to do a... John McClane focus episode. And me, with my usual tact and charm, said, well, if he wanted so bad, drag his ass on here, and he can co-host episode with us. I should stop saying these things because right. he took us up on it. Right. So that's why he's here with us today, and we are more than glad. We are utterly yeah. delighted to have so him So we're going to talk about the four films that make up the Die Hard, well, it used to be the Die Hard trilogy, now it's the Die Hard. Tetralogy, right? Tetralogy, in fact, I got word this morning that they're working on Die Hard 5. Just die already. Yes, otherwise known as Die Hard, we haven't thought up a title for it yet. <laughs> Hard. <laughs> now, my first thought was, when I, I told this to Derek, I said, does that mean that they're going to tell guys to take down their song and then put it back up again with a new lyric, which will probably be, Well, here comes John McClane, we don't know what this film's about, but he's probably going to kick a lot of ass. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) The greatest refrain in the history of songwriting. How can you resist a song that has the nerve to have a line like that as its constant refrain? Of course, my favorite iteration of John McClane's came, of course, from Alan Rickman in the first film. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, if you folks don't know what we're talking about... When we put this episode up, Tom, you'll put a link to yeah. the video, which is available on YouTube. In fact, if you go on to the Better in the Dark Facebook group page, you can see that Donovan has already beat us to it and provided a link. Oh, okay. Well, there you go, folks. If you haven't seen already, please go see this video. It's awesome. Okay, so what do we want to do first? Do we want to do the big announcement first? Actually, there's two big announcements. Mm-hmm. Or do we want to go into some viewer mail? I don't know. Let's leave it up to Donovan. He's our guest. Okay, what do you want to do, Donovan? <laughs> I was hoping you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Donovan, how many of our guest host episodes have you heard so far? I've not heard all of them. I'm not going to lie and say I've heard all of them. But I have heard at least 50 to 65%. Yeah. I've been like, listening ever since. I've been listening to right. them. Right. But, but you've heard the Michael Bailey two-parter. Oh, yeah. And you heard the one probably with Des talking about Clyde Barker. I don't think I have, but I've heard, I heard the Bailey one. I've heard most of the Guilt Edge bonds. I've heard the Spice right. one. I've heard the last three or four or mm. five, six so you guys have done consecutive So you know that generally we defer to the guest host when it comes to making these decisions, right? Oh, yeah, I thought that. I was like, don't, 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 while I'm waiting for the other mail to come on up. Because there are still people that send email to our betterinthedark at gmail.com. Okay. Which I think is hilarious. And Michael Bailey sent us a little something about an episode that you and I look forward to every year, the Obscure Movies episode. All right, there you go. And Michael writes, Hey guys, just got done with the latest episode and wanted to thank you for covering a movie that I like a lot more than I probably ought to. Shock treatment. This movie was something of a holy grail for me back when I was a teenager. I discovered the Rocky Horror Picture Show back in 1990 when it got its first home video release. I was 14 at the time, and my sister Jane had rented it, and the love I have for that film began. It's not that it was the best movie ever made, but the music was pretty kick-ass, as was the imagery. It's one of those cult films you catch at just the right age, and suddenly it becomes part of your cultural language. Jane eventually bought the soundtrack to the film and the Roxy cast recording of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, And thanks to my friend Laura, I got copies of the box set that released around the same time. 
But I'll get back to that in a second. I would eventually get to go to see the midnight showings of the film at the Lehigh Valley Mall, and much fun was had by all. Somewhere out there is a video my friends and I made where we put the movie on my friend's Ben's projection screen and did our own floor show. I'm not sure where that video is. I'm sure it will come back to haunt me someday. It's probably in the same spot where my remote control episode is. (laughs) Anyway... On the box set that I got a copy of were two numbers from Shock Treatment, and thus began the long search to find a copy for that film. Eventually it was released on home video, and I was finally able to see it, and from the beginning I dug it more than Rocky. The music was a lot better, and the surreal nature of the film made it extremely rewatchable. When I was in college, my sister Jane found me a CD of the soundtrack, and I still listen to it to this day. While I understand the reasons you guys listed as to why it isn't more fondly remembered, I still can't fathom why fans of RHPS don't like the movie more. Very sad. Interesting tidbit. This was released on DVD a year back and had one or two featurettes on it that I liked quite a bit. The only problem I had with the main featurette was all the talk about how this film foresaw the rise of reality television. I'm not sure I buy into that, but whatever. I'm still glad to have it in my DVD collection, and now I have to dig it out and watch it again. So thanks to you both for covering the movie and continuing to produce a must-listen podcast. Your friend, Michael Bailey, who will be joining us during the Summer of Fun. Yes, he's coming back. We've already talked to him. We're going to do the JLA episode. That's right. right. We're doing the JLA episode. Shall we talk a bit about what we got planned for the Summer of Fun? That's what the mail we got. Well, it looks like I can't get the Earth2.net one to come up just yet. We'll go back to that later, so we'll and we'll do it later. for the review episode. So you want to jump right into the good news? Let's talk a bit about what people can expect for the summer fun. That will lead us into our special announcement. Oh, you're just going to jump over me now. Huh? Well, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> being the typical white guy. I mean, yes, here we go! White-eyed devil! <laughs> Yo, we'll talk Let's go. Okay. To start with, we are finally going to do the much-promised, although not by me, of course, two-part Star Trek episode. You just had to throw that in there, right? Tom does that because Tom hates Star Trek, and Star Wars for that matter, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So he's not looking forward to doing that episode. He thinks he's going to sit in the corner and pout while we're doing it. Well, I will try to participate as much as possible. My contention has always been, Star Trek is the greatest thing ever when you're 13, and then you grow up. Well, Spider-Man is the greatest thing when you're 13, too. Some of us pick pick our own little nerdiness. Star Trek passed me over. But Spider-Man hasn't. It's not for me either. I'm on three podcasts. Got you with that one. I'm not. (laughs) But yes, we're going to be doing the Star Trek part. We've got Shag the Surrender Monkey coming Mm -hmm. on (laughs) to do a follow-up to our two-part Doctor Who episode where we discussed the last season of Russell Hugh Davies' run. Okay. And more importantly, what we think so far of the reign of Stephen Moffat. I've been watching it, and I've been... Wait a minute! And I've been enjoying it. I've been less than overwhelmed. But, however, I'm glad that Matt Smith has apparently gotten off to such a great start that everybody loved him right from the start. He's growing into it. I can see that he is developed. The thing that is carrying the show, and then we'll move on, is the chemistry between Smith and... Yeah, yeah. Or Karen Gillan? Karen Gillan, yes, is the actress's name. Mm -hmm. I think that that chemistry, even during the weaker episodes like The Beast Below, is carrying the show. More than Chris Rackleson and Billy Piper, more than David Tennant and Billy Piper, more than Tennant and Freeman Ajima, those two have 
a real tight chemistry. I think the only ones in the in the David Tennant year that I thought had a, as tight a chemistry was him and Catherine Tate. But then again, I think that it's going to fit into the overarching story with this little crack that keeps following them throughout time. She just got used to everything that was going on a little bit too quickly for me. It was like she got thrown into the TARDIS and now, oh, there should be an episode, even Donna right. had an episode where her mind was blown yeah. by it and she had to get used to it. Feel you should have. But it was like she had no problem with it. She was cool with it. I think it's very... When she didn't say, it's bigger than you. Yes. Okay, Donovan, so you know what I'm talking about. That's a traditional line that every, oh, it's bigger on the inside. I think that it's very ominous. I think it's episode eight of this season is titled Amy's Choice, which leads me to believe that there is something going on there. And I do think that it was a little bit too soon in this new Doctor's regeneration to throw the Daleks at him. See, I looked at it more like, let's get this 800-pound gorilla out of the way, so we can move, so we on, can move to, on to the stories I want to tell. Okay, that's valid. Because everybody is going to wait for the... They say, oh, where's the dollars? Where's the dollars? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I agree with you. I love the guy that played Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah. He was the best thing about that episode. <laughs> one of the things I love about the new Doctor... And we promise we'll move on from this. One of the things I love about the new Doctor is that they really make an effort to find people who know how to play those historical characters. Exactly. Usually I look forward to those historical personality episodes in every season. What else do we have coming up? We've talked about Star Trek, we've talked about Doctor Who, we've talked about Justice Justice League League of America. We're going to have lots of fun. And we've got two big announcements. One is, for those of you who have problems waiting for us every two weeks, we're going to be streaming on the Movies About Girls Network. (laughs) Say that again, Donovan? Uh, I was only an eye. Well, go ahead. (laughs) 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 You go. It's something to ooh about. If you go to www.loudcaster.com backslash channels backslash 214 movies about girls, you will get to hear us along with the Movies About Girls podcast, the Hits From Hell podcast, and various songs about girls, thus keeping in the whole network idea about girls. There you go. All you need is drugs, liquor, and guns, and you're set. <laughs> also, other important thing, of course, is that we have a contest. We haven't done a contest in a long The last time. contest we did was, was the logo. Was the logo contest. And in fact, the Star Trek episode is kind of the manifestation of the prize for that contest. Right, because the winner of that contest, the gentleman who designed our logo, one David Ellis, his prize was that he could come on as a guest host and do any episode that he wanted to do, and he wanted to do a Star Trek. However, David never got back in touch with us, so David, if you're listening to this, the Star Trek episode is coming up, this is your chance to get in on it and collect your prize. Tom and I were talking about something special to do this summer. We were talking last night, and Tom proposed an idea. He had a bunch of stuff, which he's going to tell you about in a minute, and I have a bunch of stuff I just threw into the package to sweeten the pot. So, Thomas, take it away. We are calling this the... Better in the Dark Summer Oh Cowboy Fun Contest. Kind of in celebration of the fact that one of our favorite comic book cowboys is coming to the screen, although in a version I do not recognize in any way, shape, or form. Jonah Hex! What happened to your face? Cut his shape and what happened to yours? (laughs) Or as I like to call it, Wild Wild West 2. Yeah. What we have here is we've got a big pile of stuff. 
to summarize, we've got the first volume of the Grimjack Omnibus. Grimjack, for those of you who didn't know, was a great, great series written by John Ostrander and drawn by Timothy Truman. One of the best comic series of all time, in my humble opinion. And of course, Tim Truman was one of the artists who did Jonah Hex during the 90s. This is a great book. It kind of is a Western in its own right. Yeah. It's got aliens. It's got time travel. Right. It's got mercenaries. It's got big guns. It's got motorcycles. It's got babe. Everything you want to see in a series was in Grimjack. Yeah. It's a great book. You want to recommend everyone to this up if you don't win it? Well, most of the people who are listening to this yeah. probably know who we're mm-hmm. talking about. But if you don't know who Grimjack is, well then... You know what to do. We got Google these days, folks. Google them and experience the awesome that is Grimjack. So that's the volume one, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, that's volume one. They've only made one so far. Okay. Derek has contributed a brand new copy of Dylan and the Voice of Odin. Which I will autograph. I was about to ask that. Yeah, of course. I'm going to autograph it. It's a collector's item. In addition, we've got also a copy of the very rare Frontier Publishing Presents. Why is it rare? Because Frontier Publishing doesn't exist anymore. We only did that one issue. Yep. And that contains, to date, ominous pause, the only illustrated comic story featuring my character Dylan. Dylan and the Escape from Tosegi. Right. Also, we just got word this morning from Russ Anderson over at Pulpworks Press that he's throwing into the pot a brand new, fresh out of the oven copy of How the West Was Weird. Which is the anthology. Mm-hmm. Just came out from Pulpworks Press that has stories in there by myself and Tom DJ. Yep. We got vampires. We got. Aztec mummies. We got gun-toting exorcists with naked Mexican chick companions. <laughs> we got zombie town. All sorts of fun, wacky, weird stuff. The kind of stuff that Jonah Hex would kind of stumble into and go, man, that's pretty strange. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I loved about the character, was that here was a guy, he was pretty much a normal guy, kept coming into these weird-ass situations, just go, well, that's a mite odd, ain't it? Mm-hmm. I remember there was an episode there where they went back in time and saw him, and he, they said, oh, you must think we're pretty weird. So I've had a weird life. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was, wasn't it, I had an interest in life? Something like that. <laughs> like that, but yes, I know exactly what you mean. And I should mention, by the way, Grimjack is still in its plastic. Has not been touched. Has not been touched by human hands. That's a pretty sweet package. I like to think so. I like it. What do you need to do to win this cornucopia Go stuff? What you need to do you have to say, and they should send this to the Better in the Dark. Yes. The first thing you need to do is go to the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com and register. We're going to put aside a special section for that, and we want you to do one of two things. You have your choice. You can either, one, write a thousand-word weird western story, or two, write a thousand-word essay about your favorite western film. Or TV show. Or TV show, yeah. We have a TV show. We're not being picky. The contest deadline is August 28th. Derek and I will look through the and choose a winner. And, and we'll announce it sometime in September. There you go. And we will ship this package of goodies out to you. Now, of course, there are a couple of rules. Entries have to be no more than a thousand words. Now, I'm going to be hard on this. A thousand words. Don't send us something that's... 30 pages long and says, well, it's so wonderful, they're going to want to read it. No, we will not. We will delete it. A thousand words. Maybe 1,500. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a total Scrooge about this, but folks, a thousand words. Women who think that their looks will influence us are heartily encouraged <laughs> to send pictures. 
Um, Although I should warn you, one of the things we're having at our beach party this year is we are having a naked Doctor Who female companion volleyball contest. Woohoo! Oh, yes. The winner is entirely up to myself and Tom, so right. no bitching and crying and whining. And no bribery either. Well, bribes are accepted, but not while Tom is watching. And, <laughs> and affiliates and employees and writers on the staff of Pulp Work Press are, of course, not eligible. Pulp Work Press and uh, Earth2.net. Earth2.net. Sorry, fellas, but no. If you're affiliated with any one of those, you can't. But chances are you probably got this right. anyway, so what the hell. Exactly. See, there's not that many rules. So, get to writing, partners, and hopefully we look forward to reading your stuff real soon. Now that we've got that over... Okay, well, that's out the way. It's now time to talk us about a great, great man, great, great character. And a great, great man as well. Right. John McClane. Yes. Let me tell you a story about John McClane. I picked up Holly. Did I ever tell you that I actually had the privilege of having a drink served to me by Bruce Willis? This is brand new to me. No, when Planet Hollywood opened up here in Manhattan, and I went to the opening thing, because I knew people, I was hanging out back then, I knew people, I got in there, and at one point he was behind the bar himself, and he was serving drinks to people. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool, and I looked, I said, wait a minute, isn't that Bruce Willis? Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure enough, it was him. Bruce Willis. Hey. Granted, I mean, Lord knows that his singing career didn't work out too well. The infamous Bruno. Oh. <laughs> Actually, I enjoyed the cover, the one he did with the Pointer Sisters. Respect yourself. Yeah, respect yourself. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But that. He, remember, he followed that up with an absolutely hideous cover of Under the Boardwalk. But you gotta remember, this is back during the 80s when all of these actors, Squad mm-hmm. Nickerson, you had Eddie Murphy. Yeah. He tried to have a singing career. But it was a whole bunch of people that was back then, so it was kind of expected. Right. Now, we do want to say up front that we're going to be a little bit light when it comes to talking about the first two films. That's because we've already discussed them in episode number 21. Die the Lethal Trance Harder Good Night. Wow. That was episode where we noticed, mm-hmm. and we have been talking about this, that there's a hell of a lot of action movies that were Christmas-based. You could legitimately call Christmas movies because right. they happen either on Christmas or... And that's when Die Hard yeah. takes place on Christmas Eve. So you got people getting blown up and mm-hmm. getting shot and things. All these you, got, you got a guy throwing another guy tied to an office chair through a window to get the attention of Reggie Vell Johnson. But it's a Christmas Welcome movie. to the party, pal! I was going to say... <laughs> And more importantly, it's a Christmas movie. It took a little S star in Bruce Willis and made him into a big S star. Who was doing a TV show that you might have heard of called Moonlighting. Which is a textbook example of how to kill a franchise. And he did this what was supposed to be a moderately budgeted little action movie. Because that's what people consider to be a little movie he did during the summer hiatus. He figured he'd make a couple dollars here and there. And that's it. Who did this thing blow up? Well, because like, it is, and I've always contended this, I contend this in the episode 21, it is the perfect American action movie. Right. In that, I mean, the plot is simple to understand by anybody, whether they're from New York, Detroit, Tagalog, Ho Chi Minh City, they can grasp it. I have literally never met anybody who does not like Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Even women like it. It's one of these action movies I think has several levels that appeal to both men and women. Yeah. One of the things I think that would have been, God, I'm going to sound like such a chauvinist, but I think the fact that Holly is such a strong character in and of herself, and as resourceful as John is. Yeah, she's not like a wiltering. She's in the midst of the hostage situation, right. but you can see she's working angles too, and she's right. putting together things, and she's trying to keep her herself and these other people alive mm-hmm. while this is going on, while her husband is out there doing right. his thing. And of course, the greatest villain ever on the screen, <laughs> one hands Gruber. 
how do you say it, cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just saying that to Derek before we called you, Dom. That is like my absolute favorite. And I think another thing that John McClane appealed to, of course, the blue collar guy because this guy he's not a Navy SEAL right. like we saw in other action movies. He's not a commando. Yeah. He's a cop. And he's, he's a regular scared. Guy. He's frightened yeah. when he does these incredible stunts. He feels pain. Yeah, he's not like. I love when he jumps off of the villa yeah. with nothing but a fire hose. And, like, and he's like, "Oh God, please don't let me die." <laughs> Because if it wasn't for Al, if it wasn't for Argyle, if it wasn't for Holly, all doing their part, so to speak, this would have been a disaster. The influence of this can be seen in the fact that this mm-hmm. is one of those few films, like Lethal Weapon, that created an actual sub-genre right. in the action-adventure of the one guy put you have Steven Seagal, right. had Under Siege, which was one guy... Die Hard on a Train. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, no, sorry, no, no, Under Siege was Die Hard on an uh, aircraft carrier. Yeah, didn't he also do... Under Siege 2, Dark Tower. Uh-huh. Die Hard on a Yeah, that was Under right. Siege, with him okay. against Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. You had Speed. You had mm-hmm. all of these different... B2, Cruise Control. You had the taking of Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. which was a bunch of guys sealed off Beverly Hills and was right. You had all of these movies which was basically yeah. took the Die Hard formula and tried to replicate it in also, other settings. something else we should point out about why this was such a trendsetter is it has a legitimately surprising twist. True. But it plays fair totally because when Gruber makes his demands, even one of the characters says, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. And then we learn why it doesn't make. Perhaps one of my favorite sequences is when Holly has the final confrontation with Gruber. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, I get it now. You're just a common thief. You're just a thief. Yeah. And he so, just goes, oh. bug fuck. He goes, no, I am not a common thief. I am a very exceptional thief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this is a man who takes pride in his work. That's the thing that most people seem to forget about action movies, which is your hero is only as good as your villain. Yes. That's why, for some reason, the odd-numbered episodes of Die Hard are really good. The even-numbered kind of suck. Part of the reason is the Major in 2 mm-hmm. isn't very memorable. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember his name. But I remember Hans Gruber. I remember Franz Gruber. Franz Gruber, yeah. I don't remember Gabriel. I remember, was it May was her name? I don't even remember. I know. I, was I, I still by, like I your know, idea. I know it was played by Maggie Q. Yeah. I still like your idea. We'll get to that when we talk about Live Free or Die Hard. Your idea of what the twist should have been on that. Uh Well, Donovan, you're the only person that they haven't heard what your opinion is of the film. Die Hard, the first one? Yeah, the first one. Out of the series, I didn't see the first. I saw the third one the first, but Mm -hmm. obviously I went back to see this. and It's just, it resonates with you because these guys aren't archetypes. They're not caricatures. They're actually real people. Mm -hmm. John McClane scared the crap out of but he does the right thing. I also like how you can tell even how he became a cop a little bit. Mm -hmm. Doesn't Han say no? Like, oh, you don't think you're John Wayne? He's like, actually, I'm almost partial to Roy Rogers. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of see a little background on that. But he's also, you know, the guy's here. He's funny. He says a lot of jokes and stuff. And it's just all around good stuff. Great action. Great violence. Right. Yeah, great stunts. The contribution of 
Bruce Willis can't right. be overlooked. This was the perfect vehicle for him at the perfect time. Yeah, and also because Bruce Willis isn't this super buff guy. He's exactly. not Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is what I'm saying. He looks like a guy that keeps himself in shape, but he's not ridiculously muscled. Also, you know, you know what else that? that strikes me about this film? The motivation is very understandable. He's just there to try and reconnect with his wife and his family. Exactly. And very this guy human. is in the way. They put a very human motivation for him being there right up front, which right. is another reason why I think that women like it, because they go, oh, he's yeah. doing all of this because he wants to get back together yeah. with his wife. Maybe he's also trying to stay alive, too. The one thing, and like I was saying earlier, he's not a Navy SEAL, he's yeah. not a commando, he doesn't have martial arts training. The one quality about John McClane that makes him stand out is right there in the title, Die Hard. This is right. a man who absolutely refuses right. to give up or die. In terms of the non-villains, Gruber and his crew, there's only one real asshole, and he's deleted very quickly, which is Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ellis is, oh, I love Ellis. Yeah. I can sit there and watch that scene all the time when Ellis is running this lot of bullshit, yeah. and Alan Rickman is just sitting there like he can't believe this man is talking to him like this. And even though John knows that Ellis has designs on his wife, he's still going, Ellis, Tell him you're lying. Yeah. Ellis, Tell him you're lying. Ellis, I know these guys. They are not yes. like going to kill you. And Ellis, I got this, man. No yes. And Alan Rickman just sitting there with this amazing look on his face. <laughs> and that made a minor star of Alan Rickman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to this day, still, if we need a vaguely European villain, let's call Alan Rickman. Yeah, let's call Alan Rickman. His stock shot up, and he was in a whole bunch of other movies like that. Most disappointingly was the Robin Hood movie. Kevin Costner. That made Bruce Willis a major star. And made a boatload of money. Made John McTiernan into an A-list director for I went a while. back to the movies myself. I think I went back and saw that thing about three or four times. No mm-hmm. lie when it was out. And so, of course, it was not a surprise that the studios were like, Money. We want more of it. Now, the unusual thing that we should mention about... All of the Die Hard movies is mm-hmm. that they were actually based on novels, but they were novels yeah. that did not feature John McClane. Mm-hmm. They were just action-adventure novels right. that were bought by the well, studio. Well, the first one, Die Hard, featured a John McClane, but it was nowhere resembling the Bruce Willis character. Kind of like the Rambo of the book, yeah. having no resemblance at all to the Rambo exactly. movies. And in fact, a book that was purchased that ultimately came... Die Hard 2, was purchased with an eye to turning it into a Commando sequel. Once you know that, that film makes a whole lot more sense. You remember the movie that Bruce Willis made a few years back? The mercenary movie, Tears of the Sun? That originally was going to be a Die Hard movie. They were, <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be something about John McClane that got a right. job at, as a bodyguard to a, a bunch of businessmen. Well, anyway, they were on, on this plane and they crashed in the South American jungle. And now they're being hunted by this drug cartel. Right. And John McClane's got to keep this businessman alive. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was going right. to be about. For some reason, unbeknownst to me, and if anybody knows why, let me know. But it didn't work out. Of course, he made tears of the same, right. but he went back to the original source yeah. of the book and made it that way. Because he mm-hmm. loved the book. This novel was bought with the idea of turning into a Commando 2. So if anyone ever wondered why there was never a Commando 2, this is why. <laughs> I always was surprised because, much like The Losers, which yeah. we talk about in our review episode, Commando was so obviously set up for a sequel. I yeah. said, boy, they're really confident this thing mm-hmm. is going to... was that they practically told you, well, right. we're going to have a sequel. Here we have John in Washington, D.C. The continuity of these films is kind of weird because, okay, he starts out as a New York cop. In Die Harder, 
it's revealed that he moves to Los Angeles so he can live with Holly. Right. But they're going back to the... Why not just set the film in LAX then? But then again, you couldn't have snow. So they're flying back to Washington to spend Christmas with Holly and parents. Uh, again, this is set on Christmas yeah. Eve. A year later, they even say that. Yeah. The this is exactly a year how later. Can a guy, how can a guy have the same thing happen to him twice in a row? Yeah. Which is crawling through the ducks. That's what he says. He's Have either of you ever seen Ben Stiller did a parody called Die Hard Eight for his Ben Stiller show? No. Which was big. I'll, I'll be it's a parody of Die Hard where John McClane is shopping on Christmas Eve and Taylor Negron shows up as a terrorist. Okay. So it's basically doing the same Die Hard shtick. At one point, it's him clawing through the ducks going, how could this thing happen eight times in a row to a guy? Mm. We go through the plot in, in episode 21. Needless to say, there is this Oliver North character that is trying to liberate this General Noriega character. Right. Because it's, it's so very obviously meant to be a Commando film. Because these things would make much more sense if John Matrix was a If movie. John Matrix was to me, yeah, exactly. This movie's got John Amos in a supporting yep. role. It's got Dennis Front. It's got a memorable cast. Fred play. Dalton. Fred Wright. Now Senator Thompson. He's the airport. Yeah, he's the guy in charge of the airport. The funny thing about this movie is that I like it. It's exciting. It's fun to watch. But it's the type of movie, a half hour afterwards, I actually have a hard time remembering what yeah. happened in what order. And this is an early film done by Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan. A director I am not fond of. And one of the problems, I think, with this script is that, unlike with the first one where every death has an impact, Mm -hmm. there is almost a cavalier act. Like, uh, that scene where they consciously crashed the British airline plane into the tarmac, and then it's, let's forget about them and go on to the punchy, punchy, run, run. Well, that's a very good way to think, because at first John's, like, crying and everything, and then it's like... And there's a really happy ending at the end, and it's kind of like, you know, an hour ago, all these people died. Yeah, Kurt Verrill, it's like ten minutes later, he's battling around with John Amos. Probably, yeah. I gotta admit, my favorite exchange in the whole movie is John going, I'm sorry I called you an asshole, and John Amos says, no, you were right in calling me an asshole, it's just I'm your kind of asshole. I'm your kind of asshole. (laughs) Donovan, you made a good point. When in the action movie, when was the last time that we see when innocents got killed that the hero cried? They should have played that scene out. But it was nice to see that. You said, oh my God, especially after he went through all this to try to Mm -hmm. save the plane, and then we actually see him crying. When was the last time you saw James Bond cry when uh, innocent got killed in one of his movies? It's just something that you don't see. Gives him the character, because the character is like human. Right. I think with that art, the situation is played up less nuanced than the first one. Right. the third one. It's just the characters are just kind of being pushed around the plot. I think John McClane I think the best part about the Tower too, but the plot kind of just deteriorates a little bit. Yeah. I think the perfect example of the fact that you're saying these characters are just being moved around like shuffleboard pieces is the fact that we have Walter Atherson, Richard Thornburg, <laughs> kind of like bolted on with big old rivets just because the producers assume that we want to see Thornburg being a dick again. Doesn't he play a great dick, though? Oh, he plays a great dick. He did it in Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. If you want a dick, Although, according this is to, the guy that you call. Although, remember, according to Ghostbusters, that man has no dick. Yeah, that- one of the greatest lines ever uttered yeah. in a movie. And that totally, absolutely pointless scene with Al. Yeah. yeah, yeah that that right. was fan service. It was basically fan service. Yeah. It's definitely a lesser fan service. We'll see is that the even ones tend to be far more out there. In fact, for he becomes a superhero. He might as well have a costume. Yeah. Okay, but for me, the story mm-hmm. hangs together a little bit better, and at least... When I walk away from right. Live Free, I remember what happened. So help me. I can watch Dying yeah. Harder, and a half hour later, 
if you ask me what happened to so and so, and I will honestly forget. It's, yeah. it, it's just a movie that doesn't stick and, with and me. And the person I feel the worst for in terms of Die Harder is William Sadler because he does give a tremendous performance mm-hmm. as Colonel Stewart. Mm-hmm. But it's just that the whole film is so inconsequential. You don't really care as much about their plot as you did about Gruber. Because the thing that's great about the Gruber brothers is that, yeah, you hate them, but they're charming and they're but charismatic. They really Not so much as Hans, his brother, what was mm-hmm. his brother's name? Simon. Simon. Simon met a pie going to the fast. Simon said, I was actually rooting for him to get away with it. Yeah. So was the original cut of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've done the pre-revunctory, we'll get into the two films we haven't covered. So go ahead. I just like real quick, like the original ending apparently had Simon getting away scot-free and like I think it's like a few months or a few, yeah. maybe a year later, John comes back, he's revealed that he's been fired and it's basically just a revenge shot. Like the original ending, I actually was watching it before you, uh, we started on YouTube because Simon gets away scot-free with it but John McClane comes and just kills him for revenge mm-hmm. was the original ending like at some time like the movie. Yeah, now see that, that wouldn't have worked if I had seen that and I see why they cut it now, that would have ended the movie on kind of like a downer note with John. Apparently like the thought of it was it that the, the best thing about Die Hard is that the whole movie takes place in a relatively short like, period like, of time. Like 24 hours? Yeah. But that's also another reason why 4 seems like such an odd man out because yes, the first three films take place in the space of a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that might affect Die Hard works in real time pretty much. Yeah, it's like what, 12 hours just about, yeah. Because our guy picks them up just when it's getting dark yeah. and it ends just when it's getting yeah, doing. Exactly. yeah, right. Die Hard 3 takes place over the space of a 24. I always said, if they wanted to do a 24 movie, right. this is the template for yeah. it, but the fourth one takes place like over the 4th of July weekend. Yes, it's it's one of the many flaws in Live Free or Die Hard, but we'll get to that after we talk about a much better film, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> Which was shot five years after Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Hot towns, uh, in the city. Interesting thing about this is that I used to work in the Continental Insurance Building. You know the scene that happened in the Federal Reserve? Yeah. Where there's that big Magritte mural? That is about a block from where I used to work. Oh, okay. And they painted that specifically as a gift for the city to allow them to shoot there. there. Mm-hmm. I think it's long since faded, but it was up there for ever, even after the film was this shot. Is, this is like my favorite mm-hmm. out of all of the oh, oh, yeah, this is my And I think it's a, it's a great film in spite of the hurdles it had to overcome because this was originally a script meant to be Lethal Weapon 4. Right. And brother does it show. Mm-hmm. There are so many elements that you could sit there and go, okay, that was supposed to be set in Los Angeles. Which is why I don't understand why they didn't just let it be set in Los Angeles. But this is such a New York movie. You know how we complain all the time yeah. that there are movies that's supposed to be set in New York, but it's obvious that it's a studio right. or a shot someplace. Uh, no, this movie was filmed from start to finish. Well, not to finish because they right. go to Canada, but 99% of the movie yeah. is in New York. But Derek... You look at some of the set pieces, and you can see, for example, the way that Simon makes his escape. It's obviously that was meant to be the Los Angeles aqueducts. You know, you can, to you. Harlem was obviously meant to be Watts. You can see the analog. Why didn't they make it? Well, I could pretty much guess why. Why they didn't make it John and Al? That's a good question. Because uh, uh, obviously, you know, it's plucky by the sidekick and everything. Right. I'm not complaining about Sam Jackson because he was awesome in this film. Mm-hmm. Zeus. Zeus? Zeus, yes! Like, I'm gonna blow up a lightning bolt in your motherfucking ass! You got a problem with that? <laughs> yeah, he said, why do you keep calling me Jesus? Well, that's what those guys are calling you. They will call you Jesus! Do <laughs> <laughs> I look Hispanic, motherfucker? I was like, what do y'all think about it? I was watching it like, a few years ago with a friend of mine, and it was, it was, yeah, he's, he's a white dude, and I was like, was he racist? You could just. Yeah. You could just see, by the way, the pre. 
sugar tits Mel Gibson standing in the middle of Watts with the I hate nigger sign. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can see all the seams of it being a lethal weapon film. McTiernan does a great job in converting it to a diehard film. Mm-hmm. See, now, if I had known that before I watched the movie, and I'm glad I didn't know that before right. seeing the movie, because that probably would have colored my perception of it. But I remember going to the theater and mm-hmm. seeing this, and I just remember the first time I saw it, even now today, I just love it to death. I right. don't know, there's so many great action set pieces in it, the car chase where he mm-hmm. swings the car yeah. around. But, and but getting back to Donovan, Donovan had a question for us. Okay, what was the question? What do you think of this? character, was he, was he believable? Was he just like the angry black guy? Like, was he a caricature? Was he played well, written badly? Like, I really like him, but he does kind of veer towards, not parody, mm-hmm. but kind of an archetype. And I was wondering what you guys thought about him. That's an interesting question. First of all, it's Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson plays a certain type yeah. of guy in most of his movies. You can easily tell the difference between a Sam Jackson, I'm doing it because they're giving me lots of money, yeah. and a Sam, Black Snake Moan is Sam Jackson doing a, a film he really believes in. And a large part of the reason why he's in this movie is because him and Bruce Willis wanted to work with yeah. each other, because I think they met during Pulp Fiction. Right. And didn't they do something before that, but they didn't really have that many They, they also did um, Unbreakable. Unbreakable, yeah. right, yeah, so they wanted to do something together. And yeah, the scriptwriters did a little bit of fancy pen dancing to try to get a reason to smoosh them together to yeah. make sure that they're with each other through the whole movie with Simon mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, you interfered in my game, so now you got right. us together. Well, you know? I think it's because psychologically, as Simon thinks, you messed with my fun, you messed up with, yeah. With my now fun, you yeah. are going to have to see it through. But at least this movie doesn't reduce him to the typical stereotype. Matter of fact, I think the original Bill Johnson character is more of a sidekick than Sam right. Jackson. Yeah. He's more of the yeah, reluctant. This, this guy has a clear character in him. He has his nephews. I, I just, I and he's a learned man. That's the other thing that's important, is that Jackson is established as being very learned, which is why he gets to solve some of the problems. Yeah. That John McClane can't right. figure out because... Because John McClane's just a guy. <laughs> yeah, he's just a guy. To be more <laughs> precise, he's just a hungover guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene where they got the water bottles yeah. and they're trying to figure out now, if this old guy... I still, to this day, have not figured that out myself. Well, that's another scene where you can just see Danny Glover and Mel Gibson doing that same routine because... That's another one of those big indicators that this was not supposed to be a diehard film. Okay. Given what they did, they did a great job. And you're right, it is a very New York film. It doesn't look like it was shot in Toronto. Yeah, but not only that, there's a definite sense of place. They make it a point of how difficult it is to get from Harlem to the village. Right, you had the part where... They do the car chase, yeah. and John McClane has to drive through Central Park, mm-hmm. and then he calls the ambulance. He says, because there's no way that we're going to make it right. from... And Zeus is giving him directions, because he used to yeah. drive a cab. Right. He's telling him, well, no, you want to go this way, you want to go... He said, no, we'll never make it there. And I said, okay, that's something you don't usually see in a yeah. car chase. Guys trying to figure out mm-hmm. the best way to get to right. where they're going. They just drive, and magically there's no traffic. Mm-hmm. But this is New York, and he it does that clever thing to get the ambulance and go in front, and he right. just follows it. So. You, know, you know one thing I, I really do love? We were talking about the first one, how... John McClane is just a guy. This police squad, like the Captain Cop, they're no young, nice, and handsome people. There's, there's people who they're trying their damnedest to, like, to save lives and do that. Like, when I think the bombers went off in school, yeah. those two cops were after to get the children, like, they're desperate. It's like the most believable, endearing action movie one of I've ever seen. You got a good point there, because I think it works in both this film and one, which is that these aren't idealized pretty boys. Right. Yeah. The same thing with uh, the first Die Hard. Holly is 
attractive, but she's also real. She's not impossibly drop-dead gorgeous, yeah. supermodel gorgeous. You could realistically see these two people being married together. Right. You make a good point about the squad of cops. These guys look like cops. If they were making Die Hard with the Avengers today, we'd have that whole pretty boy squad from the CW, right. and they would be the cops. The only model gorgeous person in those two films is Katja, played by Sam Phillips in the third film. Mm -hmm. And she's just the bodyguard. Much like Alexander Goodenough, who a lot of women thought were, was really hot back then in 1988. Mm -hmm. was, what happened to him anyway? I don't know. I guess he retired. Moving right along. And of course, we have a great villain in Simon who is very clever. <laughs> Once again, using the Gruber... Well, say, say that you're say, like, lying about the actual plot. Originally, Hans Gruber said he was going to do something, then it turned out to be something else, and then yep. this Gruber says he's going to do something, something else, and then John... John Fisher's up and says, you know, I know the man, I know the family. Yeah, he says, I know the man, I know the flat. And they got that great line in there where he reveals that he's Hans's brother. This is about getting the gold, and mm -hmm. we'll get to that part of the plot in a minute. But Sam Jackson says... Well, why do you want revenge on him? You said you hated your brother. You didn't even like your brother. And he said there's a big difference between not liking your brother and not caring when a dumb flat-foot cop throws him off the roof of a building. Yes, villain. here it is. This is the, it's like I threw his little brother off the 32nd story of the Nakatomi Towers out in L.A. I guess he's a little pissed off about it. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me I'm in this shit because some white cop threw some other white asshole's brother off a roof? Yeah, I'm <laughs> one, of the, one, one of the many great lines <laughs> One of my favorite Simon lines. Said simple Simon to the pieman going to the fair, give me your pies or I'll cave your head in. <laughs> simple and to the point. And this has got a great heist in this whole thing where Simon is going to steal the gold that's in, there's a repository in right. Manhattan. Which is actually the actual, the federal building. The federal, the federal building, reserve which is has right more there. gold than Fort Knox. Mm -hmm. Which Simon at one point says, he said, well that's a piggy bank compared to this. He goes through this really, really marvelous bunch of devious diversions yeah. and sets up to take attention away from the fact that he's stealing this gold. You know who he is? Who? Donovan might not recognize his name. Simon is the deaf man. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty much. Derek and I are fans of a tremendous group of novels called the 87 Precinct Novels by this guy named Ed McBain, who passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. There is a recurring villain in the books, which is a police procedural, called the deaf man. We never find out what his real name is. The only thing that's really identifying is that he always has a hearing aid in one ear. There's always speculation that that's just to show, yeah. as a distraction. But yeah, he likes doing diversionary stuff. And like, part of the fun of these books comes from that these cops are inept, and somebody yeah. keep managing to mm -hmm. trip them, and he's a James Bondy type of yeah. master villain. Don't you do Donovan? You have Netflix, right? No. Okay, well... See if you can get a hold of a movie called Fuzz. Now, it's not a great movie, but it'll give you an idea, because the deaf man is yeah. in this one. I, I would go so far as to say is they've never made a decent 87th Precinct movie. No, this one, it's interesting, and it's nice to see, and you can look at it. It's an interesting cultural artifact in that the two main stars never have a scene together, because they couldn't stand mm -hmm. each other. Really, yeah, Burt Reynolds and Raquel Welch. They're the stars, but they never have a scene together in this entire movie, because they hated each other. Jeremy Iron is just as perfect as Alan Rickman oh, as, yeah. as, as Simon. Yes. To me, I can never get past the idea that this was supposed to be a Lethal Weapon film. I think it's an excellent film. I think that McTiernan takes advantage of New York to its yeah. fullest. I wonder, though, why they didn't just let it stay in Los Angeles, which is where it was obviously Well, because then they'd have to explain why. Well, no, they already did, because in Die Hard 2, it's established that McLean is now working yeah, for the L.A. Yeah, that he the 
Yeah, to L.A., the Nitty transfer. I have to wonder, in real life, do they just let you transfer back and forth like that and whenever you get rid Because in one movie, he's a New York mm-hmm. cop, then, like I said, the next one, he's transferred to Los Angeles. Then this one, he's back in New York. Probably not. Because <laughs> I know that if he came to well, McClain, you said you wanted, and now, yeah. no, you can't come back here because then some lunatic is going to be looking for revenge on you again, and we're going to have massive property damage. Some interesting little factoids about this film. Okay. The sex scene between Jeremy Irons and Sam Phillips was added at the last minute because <coughs> Kiernan knew that the film would get an R rating, and he figured he might as well put a sex scene in. Okay, good reason. <laughs> a little near, near sex scene, like before. Yeah. Kind of talk about them now. And she's got a little kinky side too, as well. The film was shot under the title Die Hard New York, which I guess would have implied that eventually we'd have like Die Hard New Orleans, Die Hard. Chicago. <laughs> Russian title for Die Hard with a Vengeance is a hard nut to crack. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I actually kind of like that. A hard nut that, well, that kind of describes yeah. Sean McClain, too. The original working title of the script was Simon Says, which makes yeah, sense. Yeah, Simon Says, right. I really like that the really over-the-top, testosterone-manly title. is like, Die Hard, Die Hard, oh, two, Die Harder, Die Hard with a Vengeance, <laughs> or Die Hard. I, I, I like that kind of stuff. This is probably the next best one after one. Yeah. When I drag them out for my own personal Die Hard Marathon, I usually watch mm-hmm. one, three, four, and I watch two last. By the way, considering the, the, the Elephant Fountain question, there are two solutions to the water jug riddle in the park at the Elephant Fountain. To place exactly four gallons of water on the scales when you have only two jugs which hold three and five gallons respect, you must do either of the following. One, fill the five-gallon jug and decant the water into the three-gallon jug. That leaves two gallons in the big jug. Two, empty the three-gallon jug and pour in in the two gallons from the five-gallon jug, leaving space for one gallon in the small jug. Three, refill the five-gallon jug. This goes on and on. (laughs) And you know what I just heard for the past minute while you were saying that? Because, folks, I have a very bad habit. Yes. If you're talking to me, and if it's something I don't understand, I hear the Charlie Brown adult voices. That's what I just heard. That's what I just heard come out of your mouth for the past minute. Oh, by the way, we almost didn't get John McTiernan as director. It was almost Danny Cannon. But you know what he chose to direct instead? What? Judge Dredd. Yes, the overwhelming blockbuster that made his career. Oh, 
Oh, now yeah. we gotta do a Sylvester Stallone. I know that's just so just so we can have Donovan oh, do translations. Do one now. I'll totally be up for that. I love Sly. <laughs> oh man, I love him too. I can't wait for the Expendables. Oh, oh God, yes. There's a couple of movies that's on my list. Of the only way I'm not going to see it is if I'm dead. And the Expendables is one. You realize <laughs> after watching that film, we're gonna have to take antitestosterone. Everybody's gonna be coming out super pumped up. Oh, I know I am. So, it took a long time for the fourth installment to make it to screen. And why did it take such a long time? I'm assuming part of it is just that people thought initially that Bruce was getting a little old. And I think probably that subgenre played itself mm-hmm. out, actually. By then, we had so many others. But that was probably the wise move. In order for people to miss something, it has yeah. to go away for a while. Right. And then with the resurgence of the action movie, I think the time was right for John McClane to come back. I don't mind seeing actors when they get older come back and do a role, especially if they can bring certain nuances from mm-hmm. being older, what Sean Connery did, Never Say Never Again, because right. he wisely did not sidestep the issue that he was older, and he made James Bond older, and he acknowledged that he was older. Unlike what they do in Live Free or Die Hard, John McClane, even though he must be, what, nearing retirement age now? Yeah, it's weird. It's like John McClane becomes even more competent. Yeah. If I know what to do, if he doesn't to do it. Try to avoid going through this plot. This is not very good. Donovan's the guest. Let him okay. work. <laughs> Go ahead, Don, but give us the plot. A bunch of computer hackers are being targeted because they're unwittingly aiding at Timothy Olympus, like, a counterterrorism scheme. Mm-hmm. It's not something well, I can't Yeah, do. Timothy Olyphant is Thomas Gabriel. He was hired by Homeland Security to create a firewall that would protect the... Fire sale, right? The idea was he was hired as a consultant. Gabriel said, you know what, you're fucked. You have so many holes, and not only was he fired, he was discredited. So he decided to get back at them by creating the fire sale where he collapses the entire infrastructure. Everything must go. Yeah. As is explained by uh, Justin fucking Long. Look, okay, I don't have a problem with Justin Long per se. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But I don't want to see him in every fucking movie I watch from here till eternity. Then stop going to movies. How many movies have you seen recently? Okay, he was in the horror movie, Drag Me to Hell. When we do the review episode after we're done with this episode, I'm going to be talking about After Dot Life. Okay, well, I didn't see And that. Justin Long is Christina Ricci's boyfriend in that. It seems like producers think that people like him, so they put him in everything. Okay. You would have preferred that it had been another black guy. That's Chris, Chris Tucker. No, no, no. Oh, God, oh, my God. I'm confused. We're no. talking about Live Free or Die Hard now. We're talking about Justin Long. Right. He's not black. Well, that's what I'm saying. Would you have preferred if John McClane had another black sidekick? I don't care about the racial makeup of the, of the sidekick. <laughs> I just think of seeing Justin Long in every movie. Oh, okay, every so you movie. just don't want Justin Long. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, Chris Tucker. No, don't mention him to me, Donovan. I'm sorry. Oh, God. I thought you were going crazy again. I, I, I didn't mind him as well. I actually thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I thought he acted pretty well in the set. If you disagree, it's your show. Yeah. So McLean is called in, along with a bunch of other cops, to gather up these hackers and bring them to the cybercrimes division of the FBI. Right. And then bad things start to happen. Oh, everything goes haywire. We don't have planes falling out of the sky, but it's close enough. Including poor Mary Elizabeth Winstead trapped in an elevator. Plays uh, John McClane's daughter. We don't have Holly in this one, but we do learn that finally they got divorced. They finally got divorced. They did get divorced, yeah. Okay, let me ask you this with you two guys. Did you feel that McClane's behavior in the opening couple of scenes was a little bit creepy? 
No, I can kind of see it because things didn't work out with Holly, which really, you can tell that it really kind of hurt him. Yeah. And since Lucy is all, like virtually, I don't know where his son went. Yeah, because yeah, they had a son and a daughter in the first film. Well, I don't consider it creepy. Billy Ray Cyrus I consider creepy, but I don't consider John McClane creepy. I can see given his nature and, because he is a guy that kind of like overreacts a little bit, and he probably is a little overprotective of his daughter. Cause this is and when they were in the car, he saw that his daughter was pushing away the guy, and the guy was like trying to get him mm-hmm. to touch really with him. And then that's what he said. It wasn't he was like watching the mini cabinet. Right, exactly, because I felt that <laughs> if his daughter had started pushing the guy away, she would have never known that he was there. Of course, what father that they see the daughter pushing right. on a guy and he won't back up? What father's not going to step in? Mm-hmm. You thought it was creepy, Tom? I thought it was kind of creepy keeping an eye on your family like that, even when you're told they want nothing to do with you. Oh, I think Billy Ray Cyrus is creepy. No, Billy Ray Cyrus is creepy for an entirely whole bag of weird. All wrong. Yes. This one finally sees the deification of John McClane. If there's anything about the, And don't get me wrong, I love action as much as the next yeah. guy, but... We get action here. Now it's completely outrageous over the top. <laughs> I mean... The, the jet thing was... was Yeah. If I had seen the scene with 18-wheelers and being chased by the jet, if I had seen that in Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But in a Die Hard movie, yeah, that's kind of like a little right. bit. Because at one part, he even does a thing where he tipped the whole 18-wheeler yeah. up on two wheels to let the missile go by. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. okay. It's not just that. It's the fact that he beats the crap out of May. The henchwoman. The henchwoman. Of, of the Timothy Oliphant. And character. I gotta also admit, I found some of the casual racism that John suddenly exudes. Yeah, that was... Where he, yeah, he's making jokes about him going on a 976 number to find a replacement for his little Chinese whore or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? This isn't John. And I'm still not racist. Like, like, it was hard on it. Tell Donovan your belief on what the twist should have been. Here's my idea on what the twist of the movie should have been. We got Timothy Oliphant set up as yeah, the bad we got guy, Gabe. Gabriel. So he goes on, and at some point in the movie, we find out that it's actually the bodyguard. She's actually the one behind it, and he's just right. the front man. He's the henchman, and she's the main villain. I think it would have given a different twist on it to have a woman as the bad guy. And also... It would have been it because this is the first bad guy that we ever seen that really gets into a physical confrontation right. with John McClane. He usually kills off all the henchmen, right. but with the exception of Hans Gruber in the first one, he never actually gets into it one-on-one with the bad guy of the movie. But they had a great fight scene, I thought. I love yeah. that fight scene. It would have been cool because like this kind of plays on the idea that things are different and the future is weird and everything. So if you have a female antagonist, now we're kind of playing on the things... The, the tropes that he's always talking to uh, Justin Long's character about, you know, why are you this and why are you that? Like, what's this and what's that? Like, yeah. Technology and everything. So if she turned out to be the antagonist, then that would kind of play up the trope that this is a new daddy's dying Or at least that Thomas has, has new things to face. How hard would this have been during the script writing sessions to say, hey, why don't we make her the chief right. villain and he's the henchman? Especially when you reflect on the fact that Maggie Q was her name? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Quite frankly, she had all the charisma of that yeah, duo. Yeah. I don't think it's Timothy Oliphant's fault. Timothy Oliphant is the weirdest yeah. actor. When I watch him on Deadwood and in Justified, mm. I love him. He plays such a badass. But in a movie like Hitman, or in this one, he's just, I don't know, flat. I can't tell if this is good acting or bad acting, because after John tells him that he killed uh, mine, he's like, you know what you want him, what you want him, like, oh. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, actually we do. You're a whiny little bitch. You should shut up. In movies, 
his badassness comes off mm-hmm. as more believable on the small screen right. than it does on the big screen. I couldn't buy him as... Once Maggie Q gets killed, that's when the whole level yeah. of the badassness of the villains go down for me. Right. Because there's really nobody else that can there's, Yeah, there's the no brain. other physical obstacle yeah. for John to overcome, except for, of course, beating up a fighter jet. And having to deal with Kevin Smith's asshole. Oh. You complained about Justin yes. Law. They should have took Kevin Smith, and I love Kevin Smith. Right. Kevin, I love you to death. But you had no business being in this movie. It was like he was hanging a neon sign over his head saying, I'm acting, look yeah. at me. Yesterday, I was looking on YouTube, like he was talking, I think from the college, and he was talking about that, and he said that he expected to only be there for one day, he said, I think my three just shoot this scene. Really? It, was, it was pretty tertiary. That's what his role had the feeling of. It was supposed to be just right. a little minute thing put mm-hmm. in there, but it was beefed up at the end because they still got Kevin Smith. Right. So we got that geek factor. That's going to right. come see because he's in it. So let's beef up his role. Exactly, because it did have that feel to it. I really like this movie. Right. I thought that the scene where he's like, oh, you're a fan of the fan? Uh, I'm more of a Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. Right. Like, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny, but when you compare it to the other three, then it loses its nuance because it's more of a, it's a good action movie in terms of the action is nice. Oh, yeah. It becomes less believable. Yeah, because they ramp up the stunts so much. I did like the thing with the police car and Justin Long's reaction. Mm-hmm. He says, dude, you killed the helicopter with a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And John McClay said, well, I ran out of bullets. What, what was I going to do? Did you see that? So I did it. Yeah, right? <laughs> but listen, as far as action movies go, you couldn't wish for anything better. I mean, there's something always happening in this movie. I did think that the cyber terrorist yeah. threat is probably the best thing about it that they could have did they say well let's update this and just show what the new terrorist threat is going to be probably cyber terrorism and I think that they came across really good they did that a lot better than say a movie like Eagle Eye which yeah. was also about cyber terror which well, I couldn't stand I think the problem with most cyber terrorist movies and this goes all the way back to The Net yeah, oh yeah hey I know what we could do with America's sweetheart Sandra Bullock let's make her into an action star <laughs> and hey we can make Dennis Miller her boyfriend talk about miscasting <laughs> You think the producers were consciously trying to sabotage their film? Probably. But the thing is, is that or they give these cyber terrorists such godlike powers. Yeah. And it's the same thing, getting back very briefly to something that we usually don't like to talk about very much, but Smallville, where Chloe is a hacker, but it seems like she's pretty much, she should be like running the cyber crimes unit. Yeah. I think that that's what gives a lot of people, especially older people, their fear of computers, because I know older people that won't even touch a computer, they won't even look at it because they have this thing. They do all these things in movies with computers, and apparently everybody has a computer, even if it's a laptop that can work at hyperspeed. Yeah. Because, and they're always able to find exactly what they need by pressing one or two buttons, whereas you know, Donovan, we use computers yeah. every day. It takes me three hours to find what I'm looking for in damn Google. But in a movie, people press a button, yeah. boom, all information is right. You know, now look your 401k's out, and it's like, oh, yeah. do this. Okay, now the, the street lights are out. Uh, yeah. Do this, all the cops are coming. This like the guy with the glasses that, that was working for them. Yeah, he had like, the power of God in heaven. It was like, yeah, exactly. Turn the street lights off with a laptop computer. He's shutting down the whole national network. I mean, come yeah. on. That's also a key part of the problem with this film. The characters are weak. The villains are weak. Even William Sadler's character in two had some strength to him, was distinctive. Gabriel and the, all the his four eyes leak in that little van bored me to tears. And the second that Mei Lin gets shoved shoved a truck of Yeah. Literally, unfortunately. There's the active, interesting threat. 
gone for good. Because it's not like Hans Gruber's mm-hmm. group of crooks. Because each one of his henchmen, they had their little personality yeah. quirks and they had a little bit... In this movie, these are just faceless targets to get knocked down, except for mm-hmm. Maggie Q. It's very, very frustrating. I mean, it, it's a good action movie. I'm not going to sit up here and lie and say that. I sit there and I watch the thing and I love it. However, and Donovan made the good point, it's a separate creature from the first three Die Hard movies. This is John McClane's superhero now. I think the one time I really liked in this one, because Justin Long why do you do this? Because like he was saying, he said, oh, you're a hero. He says, no, nah, I'm not a hero. I got shit canned or I'm not going to divorce my wife. Mm-hmm. And, well, why do you do it? Because if there was someone else to do it, I would probably do it. But I'm the only guy that do it. I kind of like that because mm-hmm. it just goes back to the guy that will do the right thing. But what he was doing was a little past his stroke. And it's one of the few times where we connect with the, what we like about John McClane, which is that he's just a regular guy. Yeah, and he says, listen, if there was anybody else around yeah. that could do this, I'd gladly let them do it. But there isn't. I'm so the it's guy. up to me. Unfortunately, then we turn around and he's punching out fighter jets and killing helicopters <laughs> and taking out these wicked martial arts babes by driving a truck up her ass. But I do love that scene because it was one of those moments... For me, I have, holy shit, how is he going to get out of this one? In the scene where they're in the tunnel. Timothy Oliphant, he directs the traffic to come in from both sides. And Bruce Willis and Justin Long, they're in the middle. I love that scene. And, on top of that, he cuts out all the lights. Yeah, but overall, I think this is, I don't know if we have agreement here. I just think this is, this is probably my least favorite after two. Two is my least favorite. I like all of them to an extent. There are the Die Hards that are, this is an awesome movie. You guys ought to see this. Let's watch Die Hard and, you know, spend two hours going, ooh, ah. And then yes. the Die Hards like, yeah, it's okay. And I kind of like this one. But yeah, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this for a Die Hard, but it does not hold up to the first or third one. Yeah. We can might as well discuss this before we finish up. We have news to this morning, in fact, that guess what we got to look forward to? What? Oh, yes. Die Hard 5. Just die already. First off, we got... Bruce Willis, who at this point as 55 years old. Well, he's 55 years old, and on top of that, you can always tell when a Hollywood actor gets self-conscious about his baldness, because he just shaves it all off nowadays. But to give Bruce Willis credit, he was the guy that started that, because he was shaving this hair like back yeah. in the late 80s when he saw he was going bald. Okay, one thing I would like to say I think would be interesting is if they let him and Lucy go on an adventure. I mean, his daughter. Yeah, you know. I need to get back to the actress, Mary, Mary. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who has been in three films I've seen, and I think she's awfully hot, hot, hot in all three of them. You know, she was in this one. She was in... She was in one of the... The Grindhouse film. Movies, which, if you want to laugh, you can just watch those. Yeah, she was in Death Proof. Okay. Remember, she was the cheerleader chick. Oh, all right. And Death Proof. Oh, all right. And, of course, she's in a film that I'm probably going to talk about when we do our episode about kids' movies that adults might enjoy. Mm-hmm. She was in Hero High. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. I love that movie uh, very much, and we've you made know, a promise. And, and that's one of the... Yeah, she's... Well, I mean, I don't want to give away the... Since we're going to discuss it in a later episode, but she is one of the key characters. She's like the initial girlfriend of the main character. That's one of those movies that every time fanboys get together and start orgasming over their favorite superhero movies. <laughs> but this movie is one that never gets mentioned, and it's a terrific superhero movie. You know why I think it doesn't get mentioned? It's because people saw the Disney stamp on it and said, oh, this is going to be corny. Actually, I think it's because it plays up on a really obvious superhero trope, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make fun of it. It's just like, yeah, oh, this is cool, this is cool. And I think a lot of snobby fans like, oh, right. yeah, they have a school where you're going to be a superhero. That sucks, man. It's, it's pretty entertaining. It's got a cast to die for. Well, it doesn't suck in the X-Men. Yeah. X-Men have a school where you go to learn mm-hmm. how to be a superhero, so, you know, why not? 
Touche. Bruce Campbell playing Banshee. Ken Russell as Superman. Kurt Russell. Well, sorry, Kurt Russell as Super. Once again, with the Ken Russell, Kurt Russell you thing. You got a thing with Ken <laughs> Russell. And I would be scared to see uh, Hero High if <laughs> Ken Russell was playing that character. <laughs> Oh, God. We are talking about Die Hard, so what do we want to see in a Die Hard 5? A funnier title. Die Hard, this time it's Godzilla. (laughs) John McClane versus Godzilla. And personally, I blame Harrison Ford and Sylvester Stallone. For all these guys who should be retired by now, they're still making these action moves. This is my impersonation of Die Hard with a kaiju. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... (laughs) (laughs) Die Hard in the streets. Oh, man. Die Hard in a nursing home. John McLean takes out the trash. Right. Die Hard speaks softly. With, with Steven Seagal? There we go. Steven Seagal, who looks like he's Ian Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Bruce Willis over the course. Although he was always a pudgy guy. The only movie that you can really say that he wasn't fat was the first one he did. Yeah, which I still think is his best one. Pam Grier played his partner. Was it Out for Justice? Or... Yeah, I think so. Where he's actually sort of running, but not really. Do you realize he had it in his contract that all of his films had to have the three-word titles? Really? You know something? <laughs> he had it in his mind that the three-word titles were part of the thing that made the films cool. So there was a script he had agreed to do called Screwface. Yeah, right. Which became... What they, oh, what, oh, that was the character in one of those movies with David. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the hell they called that one. Because it was, that it was one him had, against the Jamaican Posse. That one was actually pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. They had that whole twisty. I thought, you know, he chopped the dude's head off, and then it's like, you know, you killed, it was my brother you killed, and now I'm killing you. That's what made the movie for me, because they had that kind of supernatural element in there. There was sometimes when the guy, they said, well, he appears in places, and they had people that know he was in Jamaica, but right. he was in America. And it turned out that they were the twin brothers, but they kept it like a secret, so that the play up that they had these supernatural mm-hmm. powers. That was a good twist on that movie. But I still say his first one was best. Yeah. The only thing I would do is cut out all his running scenes. <laughs> yeah, all, all oh my god. I've seen women that run more like a man than, <laughs> than Steven Seagal. I will say that my favorite Steven Seagal movie is Out for a Kill, but not because it's good at all. It's hard to it's kill. So Out for justice. Code of honor on dangerous ground. Yeah. Uh, like under like, fire. Or like, today you die. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Tomorrow I kill. <laughs> you said that there was a three-word rule of his titles. Was it also with the names? Because like, he had Max Force, Martial Law, like those ridiculous names. Yeah. I don't know about the names, but I know it was in his contract that they would have to use a free, three-word title. <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is like the weirdest. Awesome Steven Seagal. <laughs> of course, but now we're talking about Steven Seagal, Mall Cop. Have you actually seen that No, I refuse to. I've seen it, and it's the biggest blowjob to the guy. Isn't that the thought of it? Don't you just sit there, and you just sit there with your mouth open? Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem with the f- is that it's a quote-unquote reality. I asked Donovan, did he sit there? <laughs> Tom, lift your head. Nah, he's pouting now. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, don't you just sit there with your mouth open and you just say, my God, who thought of this show? I did for a couple seconds and I said, well, obviously seriously gone there because he's such a self-aggrandizer. <laughs> Y'all have not seen any of it. I can tell you, it's Steve Seagal versus black people. Steve Seagal does charities because he's Steve Seagal. He plays the guitar with a blues band that you've never heard of. He probably sells his drink. Have you ever seen his music video? No. Girl, it's so Yeah. <laughs> Because every, every single Seagal movie is basically like him being like the Hal Jordan of the movie, actually the yeah. stars, and the 
The TV show is basically the same thing. The reason I didn't want to have anything to do with this series was that it struck me from the moment it was conceived that it was one of these quote-unquote reality shows like... Everybody remember back on the Comedy Central, I'm with Busey? Oh, yeah, sure. Where it was so obvious where there was no reality in this reality show. It was a scripted reality show. What I call a scripted reality show, yeah. Perhaps the most interesting of those scripted was, of course, the the Pauly Shore, which was fascinating because nowhere did Pauly Shore or any of the people involved in the production claim it was a reality show. But TBS kept shouting to the rafters as a new reality show. We go back to the, the interviews with Paulie Shore and his mother and his father around the time that that show was being broadcast. They refer to it as a comedy series. Okay. They are very honest about the fact that this was a scripted show. It's just that everybody would talk about it being a reality show. I never even bothered to watch it because, as you well know, I consider mm-hmm. Paulie Shore a waste of human protoplasm. It was actually an interesting show because it was Paulie Shore, after years of being thoroughly humiliated, coming totally clean with people. <laughs> no, he was unvarnished about the mistakes he made mm-hmm. and the stupidity that led him to this point where he couldn't get a job and he had to take his mother's offer to manage one of the comedy stores. Well, he couldn't get a job because he was spectacularly untalented. How this man wangled himself, who he gave a blowjob to in order to get... Because uh, he did a whole bunch of movies. He did what about well, his life? He was an MTV personality at first. He was the weasel. Yeah, I remember that. You know, he was, I think it was based on, it was just like Dan Cortez. People said, oh, people like Dan Cortez. Let's put him in stuff. We never see Dan Cortez anymore. And where is he now? Yeah. Remember, he was the spokesman for Burger King for a while. Mm-hmm. He's probably ironically in a Burger King asking somebody, so do you want the large or the medium combo? He was briefly on a whole bunch of sitcoms. I think he was yeah. in Veronica's Closet mm-hmm. with Kirstie Alley. Oh, he was on. What was he it? did what a whole bunch of sitcoms. The Single Guy? Yeah. With Jonathan Silverman? Yeah, he did a whole bunch of sitcoms. For the problem with The Single Guy was, The Single Guy was, they come all across every couple of years. One of those sitcoms where the main character you were supposed to be interested in was the least interesting character in the show. Granted, none of them had the balls that Duet had of saying, you know what, get rid of these fuckers. But then again, as you know, I'm not a big sitcom fan yeah. anyway. Most of these sitcoms, I don't, oh. I'm sorry, I, I just don't get them. The only sitcom I'm watching these days is Modern Family, which I think is actually genuinely funny. I still gotta see that. I'll probably Netflix that. Because yeah. I got the thing for the Wii now that you put the disc in and you can stream it right over right. the TV and watch it. So I'm planning on catching up on a lot of these TV They have shows. renewed it for a second season. and it's, Okay. Got yes. the in that one, right? right. Yeah, it's, I gotta catch up on that one. It's yeah. three different families who are connected by blood. Al Bundy's the father. Mm-hmm. He divorces Shelley Long. Well, who wouldn't? In their right mind. And <laughs> I don't like Shelley Long. What can I tell you? Remarries this hot Colombian chica who's noticeably younger than he is. Again, who wouldn't yes. divorce Shelley Long and marry a hot Colombian chica who has a son by a previous marriage? He has the daughter and a son. The daughter marries this well-meaning goof, and they have a family. They're like a two-income family. Okay. And then you have the son who is gay, and he and his living boyfriend adopt a daughter. And it's all about the interactions of these three families, and it's really. Genuinely funny. Was, okay. I, I find it so amazing that even at this age, Ed O'Neill has the comic timing of a cougar. Okay, cool. He's just like. Well, that was the main thing that made me want to watch when I saw yeah. that he was in there. I said, I said, I said cool. You know, well, I'm glad to see that he's still working. Yeah. It's sad to me that people didn't buy him as Joe Friday, though. Yeah. Because he was good. That was a very good show. Yeah, I liked the new Dragnet. But then again, it was no surprise to me and you because yeah. me and you had seen the Popeye Doyle mm-hmm. made-for-TV yeah. movie that he had did that was a uh, pilot for a TV show. If you watched him, have you ever seen that one, Donovan? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. 
I've never seen them. Get that movie. Ed O'Neill is very convincing. Almost scarily yeah. so as Popeye Doyle. We almost didn't get him as Al Bundy. He almost didn't become a comedy star. Apparently he was interviewed for E! Hollywood Story and he just said, after he did the interview with Levin and Move, he's like, I don't know if I want to do this. This looks really stupid. That's part and of the agent was said, funny. Who else is hiring you, Ed? And look at what they... Married Children is still being rerun right. to this day. Ten years. Criminally mistreated, though, during the last couple of seasons. Well, it pissed me off that it never got a proper send-off. Uh, yeah. More so than I think any of the other shows. That was the show that built the Fox that made Network. It, that and The Simpsons. That, it, it epitomizes Fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Married with Children and The Simpsons are what made Fox as far right. as I'm concerned. Because they look at it now and say, well, everybody's family. They're all dysfunctional. Yeah, but back then you didn't have a TV show about exactly. our family. I used that, to call Married with Children the anti-Cosby show. That, exactly. You didn't have a show about a family that was this dysfunctional. Sitcom families were supposed to get along and love each other. Right. And the most they disagreed with was who was supposed to clean up the dog poop on the carpet. Not the Bundys. Right. <laughs> so we have now marched so far afield of Die Hard that we're in Ethiopia. I'm sorry. Why Ethiopia? I just chose a name out of... Why couldn't it be Norway? Okay, we're in... <laughs> we're in Switzerland, okay? <laughs> Pick a nice neutral color. Yeah, Switzerland. Okay. We're in Switzerland. We're going to get us some watches and some chocolate. Rassin, frassin, rassin. Pick it on the pool, Ethiopia. Okay, here we go again. Blue-eyed white devil. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's heard it before. I have not uttered that phrase once. Okay. You have. To summarize, well, I said it was why Ethiopia. Okay, Donovan, <laughs> what do you recommend people watch of the four Die Hard movies so far? Uh, in which order do you play so? How about that? In which order? I think you have to see the first one first because mm-hmm. it was the one that centered me up. And it's really good. My personal favorite is Die Hard with a Vengeance, but I'm not going to argue people say the first one's the best. I would say watch the first one and the third one because they do have the continuity of the Gruber brothers. Right. And then watch Live Free to Die Hard and then watch Die Hard 2. Just because it's the least uh, effective. Right. Derek? I cannot dispute the wisdom of my brother Donovan. That's exactly the way I would watch the movie for those reasons that he cites. He had one in three. It's got the continuity of the two brothers. They're both back-to-back. That's a double action package that you can't beat. And yeah, Die Hard is probably, to date, the best American action movie ever made. Yes. People always say to me, well, what's the best action movie ever made? I said, oh, well, that's Hard Boiled by John Wayne. Yeah. Well, what about Die Hard? Well, Die Hard is the best American, American yeah. but the best action movie ever made, period, John Woo's Hard Boiled. Okay. I think we have a quorum here because I think that's the same order I would place it. I think the fourth and second one aren't bad per se, but mm-hmm. the first and third one are extremely good. Right. Even the ones that we rate the lowest mm-hmm. are still yeah. superior action movies compared to what else is being made then. And even today, there's still superior action movies compared to other movies that I've seen that are supposed to be action. Because these movies, and me and you have talked about right. this many times in the past, Tom, these have what known as practical effects. Right. It's not a whole bunch of CGI. But they have another problem with four, with uh, yeah. Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's going down that highway and the highway is crumbling, you can see the CGI pixels. Yeah, yeah. In the other movies that we're talking about, those were practical effects that were done by Although, you want to hear a really clever application of CGI in these films? What? In Die Hard with a Vengeance, mm-hmm. when they were shooting the scene with Willis Willis going through Harlem with the sandwich board saying, yeah. I hate niggers. It was originally, I hate everybody. Yeah. Because he didn't want people to get excited to be like some sort of blow up in mm-hmm. the neighborhood while they were shooting. 
they digitally change it to I hate niggers in post. Oh, okay, cool. Which to me is the way you use CGI to subtly yeah, change things. Right. And to save Bruce Willis's life, it's part yeah. of the When you try to design big hunking dinosaurs, that's when I have a problem. Which means one die hard with Godzilla. Die hard with a kaiju. <laughs> well, at this point, that's the only thing that you've got left to throw at. See, that's why my biggest worry is that five is going to go down further down the road of John McClane Superman. Yeah, exactly. I would like to see it, because I like John McClane, the character. I'm sure it's going to be entertaining, but in essence, for the sake of principle, you don't need a fifth one. No, you don't, except for one reason, to make money. Let's call it what it is. There's no reason to make another Die Hard movie, unless you're going to do something really drastic, like marry off the John right. he falls in love and get married, or if he dies. There would be an idea for a Die Hard-like scenario. What if Lucy gets married? Yeah, there you go. What if Lucy gets married to Justin Long's character? Because there is that intimation that there's going to be a romance. During all of that time. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to put it together. What does it become? If we have a, a siege built around this wedding. You know, a, 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 a caper that somehow involves the fact that he's you, being interfered I, with. I got it. You got Maggie Q's twin sister. <laughs> who wants revenge for John yes. McClane having killed her sister as she lays siege to the wedding. Yeah. And the wedding is being held at the White House. Since John McClane was right. so instrumental mm-hmm. from the last movie, the president has invited and him with a piece of paper and a pen. Theoretically, you could have every one of the major diehard characters there. You could have Al there. You could have Al. Al comes back. John McClane's crew from Zeus could be there. Zeus could be there. You could have Holly there, and we could have them reconcile. And they lay siege on the White House. Yes. As, of course, John McClane, but now he's got all of his sidekicks yes. there to back him up as well. That would be really good. Give me a pen and a piece of paper. I'm writing the screenplay tonight. Okay. Let's add this to our list of screenplays we have to write, along with the crazy babysitters twins. So, Donovan, you're here as a witness that if I go to the movies two or three years from now, I see this on the screen, I'm going to sue the hell out of them. May 7th, 2010, 1.05 p.m. This idea has been summoned. There you go. (laughs) Timestamp this right now. That's right. I'm going to write this damn thing tonight. So, I guess that's it for our trip through John McClane history. And a very entertaining trip yes. it was. Most of that credit goes to our executive special <laughs> guest host, Donovan. So, Donovan, where can it was so much fun. Where can people find you so they can hear more of you? Oh, if you want to hear um, what I'm doing, for some reason I found myself in three podcasts in a row, which is Spider Man because I'm a comic book nerd. The first one that I've done is Spectacular Whips podcast. Right. My co host Thomas Mattis and I, we go over the Spectacular Spider Man cartoon episode by episode, month by month. I've become a regular on the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast with uh, Zach Joyner, uh, Josh Bertoni. We've got to get Zach on here one of these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Old Dusty, yeah. These are all high chance if you type yeah. the titles, you find them. And the third one, the most recent one, is called Amazing Spider-Man Classics. It's with mm-hmm. Josh Tony and John Wilson. And we go over every issue of The Amazing Spider-Man from the very beginning. Last night we released episode 6, which went over ASM issues 7 and 8. So check us right. out on iTunes. And now it's time for our administrative, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so whether, take it away. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to tell us that Timothy Oliphant is the greatest villain that ever lived in the face of this planet, and we liked Hitman 2. There's a number of ways you can contact us. You can, of course, send us an email to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join one or both of our message boards. The first message board, the official message board, is at betterinthedark.proboards.com, and the earth2.net message board is at 
earthu.net. Just click on forums on the left-hand side of the screen and join up. Both of them will take only a few minutes, and if you're going to enter the Summer O Fun Cowboys contest, you do need to register at the Better the Dark official message board. You can become our friends. You can become our friends. On our Facebook pages and join the Better in the Dark Facebook group. Which Tom's live journal is Space Monkey Mafia. And Derek's is Derek Ferguson's notebook, so you can follow all of our adventures, both relating to and not relating to movies, including Derek Ferguson's notebook movie reviews and my own ten statements about. I don't want to call them movie reviews per se. They're nice little bullet points because you pick up a lot of things and I sit there and I say, yeah, you know something? Yeah, he's right about that. Nice little impressions yeah. that you have of what the movie... Nice little things. I, I enjoy them a lot. Okay. And they're probably a lot easier to write than my reviews. And literally write them when I'm on the way home from the, the movie. No, Which is probably the best way to do it. Right after I see a movie, I sit down and I write a review because after a while, if I start thinking about it too much, I won't write the review. Okay. <laughs> we do want to mention that How the West Was Weird is still out there. You can get it through Barnes and Nobles or Amazon.com. Yep. Yep. Or directly through PulpWorkPress.com. Or, of course, you can enter the Summer of Fun Cowboys contest and maybe win a copy. Yeah. And once again, those prizes are the yeah. Volume 1 of Rimjack on the Bus. On the Bus. Signed copy of Dylan and the Voice of Odin, signed by me, of course. Mm-hmm. And the very rare, very exclusive, Frontier Publishing presents Presents. number one. Yes. You know you want it, guys, so give us your thousand-word weird western story or your essay on your favorite western movie or TV show before August 28th. Oh, well, I should probably mention that I'm going to be doing some rounds Mm -hmm. on other podcasts. Obviously, I'm I'm a regular on the Movies About Girls podcast. Right. Where every Sunday you can get literally a drive time style radio show that lasts about four hours, just like a regular drive time radio shift full of jokes and really bad music. Song parodies? Not song parodies, but we do have the hits from hell. This is what I was referring to, where we're looking for the worst song ever recorded. I told you what my choice is, right? And I, we did run it. It did not make the cut, I'm afraid, compared yeah. to some of the other stuff, like the album that Van Morrison recorded just to get out of a contract, which includes such songs as, I hear you have ringworm. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you have Ringworm. This is an actual song Van Morrison wrote. I have no doubt. Reviews of really sleazy sexploitation films of the 70s, my own telephone call from Istanbul with a group of wacky guys. It's a lot of fun. It's usually available on Sunday morning. I'm going to be appearing on a couple of Views from the Long Box pretty soon, including the Views Unleashed, where we talk about Underworld Unleashed, and somehow end up with me doing an imitation of John Byrne as a little Jewish guy with a cigar. <laughs> okay. I'm not even going to touch that. There's other places that you'll probably find me, but those are like the most important things to to look for. Oh, and of course, oh, we've got Walter Bonham's Burning Comics. We're supposed to be doing the reboot episode real soon, which includes me having to summarize Rebirth. You're all over the place, ain't you? Unfortunately, yeah. I'm proud of you, son. <laughs> well, you gotta beat the drum. I'm proud of you. Michael should, should try to get you on an episode one of these days. I was gonna say, because I've heard that you're a comic fan, Derek. I'd like to know what you're interested in. My interest? Like, yeah, like what characters you like, what comics you read. I haven't read a single issue of a comic in five years, to mm-hmm. be honest. Because I'm one of these people, as we've discussed before, right. I really have a problem with comic fans nowadays because it seems to me 
that they are fans of books that they love to hate. Yeah. And if you don't like a book, then just stop reading it. <laughs> so I haven't really read a comic in the past five years. I'm more like old school. Right. I like stuff from the 70s and 80s, some of my favorite yeah. comics. Tomb of Dracula from the 80s, mm-hmm. Howard the Duck, Fantastic Four, Avengers, my favorite all-time super team. Yeah. I love them to death. Well, that's one of the reasons why you and I are doing the Avengers at Altered Visions. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because if we have our own little corner of the universe, nobody bothers us. And <laughs> we get to have fun, like you having the wasp beat the crap out of a tumor. <laughs> Only I would do that. That was a lot of fun to write. That was, yeah. Like, <laughs> beat the shit out of you. Oh, oh God. God. Sorry for a tumor. Let me see what else. Well, that's not my favorite scene in the whole story. Well, we'll talk about that anyway. when we get off because we got to leave something. Okay, for yeah. Them. We got to leave something for them to look for. Yes, to. okay. But yeah, Donovan, by all means. You're Thank you very much for yeah. joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I love it. It's awesome. You will be coming back again in the future, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, we got to have him come on to be the, Sylvester the Stallone, Stallone translator. Well, yeah, the voice of Sylvester Stallone. Oh, my God. Whenever we do a Sylvester Stallone movie, it's like, okay, David, you got to come on just you so got, you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I would love to see Sylvester Stallone do Shakespeare. Well, I do other winter breaks. <laughs> Is the East. Are you doing on the West? Let him do Hamlet. Of course, And this has been Donovan Morgan Grant reminding you that whenever you're trapped in a tower where you're being held hostage by a guy who likes to call you up and give you puzzles that make not a lot of sense, but you know he's got control of the internet and it's like shutting down all the power in the tower until, of course, you can break through and, I don't know, go see, see that, that movie. Great! Great! <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Donovan Morgan Grant and Thomas Mathis of the Spectacular Webs podcast, Donovan Morgan Grant, Zach Joyner, and Beatles Bertoni at the Clone Soccer Chronicles. Donovan Morgan Grant and John S. Wilson of the Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Eric Frome, and of course, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark would actually pay good money to see a movie starring Steven Seagal called Fuck You Man. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. Be sure to listen to the show on the Movies About Girls Network, streaming at www.loudcaster.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember... That if the only way you can kill a smoking hot Asian henchwoman is by driving an SUV up her ass, you don't really have the right to spout racist insults to her boss slash lover.
Attention, whoever you are. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza?